podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome again to Off The Wall, the podcast here on Anfield Index. We like to give you a small taste of some of the content available over on the paywall side of our channel at Anfield Index Pro. Now before we get going, this show is brought to you in partnership with LibertyShield.com, the perfect VPN companion for all your entertainment and privacy needs, where you can get 25% off everything using coupon code AIVPN. You can get a 48-hour free trial of Liberty Shield today and immediately start encrypting your internet connection. This will stop your ISP being able to log your traffic and bypass blocks on any geo-restricted or blocked IPTV content. Now here at Anfield Index, we are very conscious of the global escalation of the coronavirus and just how drastically it's impacting everyone's lives. We appreciate football and podcasts uh, in general are rather trivial for many at this awful time, but equally with escapism in the news and short supply, here at AR Pro, we're going to try and keep the flow of top quality Reds audio content winging its way to you as best as we possibly can. In the past few days on Off The Wall, we've brought you the two-part interviews that Trev orchestrated with uh, Jan Mulby and Paul Walsh. We also brought you part one yesterday of the uh, Mark Lawrenson story. So no uh, answers on a postcard for what we might be bringing you uh, to in today's show. Uh, over on AI Pro, there's a Steve McMahon story. That's in two parts. So we recorded that last week with, uh, with the Liverpool legend. And uh, it's really worth your time to go over and sign up to AI Pro just for that alone. It's a, an absolutely brilliant story that uh, Steve gave Trev about his breaking through at Everton, being an Everton fan, uh, going to Aston Villa, joining Liverpool and uh, eventually leaving Liverpool, obviously, in the... Uh, in the Graham Sooners era. Also on the paywall side, uh, a few other shows that I mentioned uh, yesterday that were worth uh, getting your ears around. Uh, first of all, you've got the next part of the Kings of Europe documentary series, a, a series that we've received absolutely fantastic feedback about. On the show this week, they're talking about Naby Keita and his contribution to that Champions League win last season. Uh, Trev narrates and is joined by uh, Jan Mulby, Paul Dalgleish, Gags Tandon, Dan Rhodes, Dave Hendrick, Jonathan Hardron and Gary L. Smith. There's also uh, a brilliant Tactics Weekly out now as well. Dan Rhodes uh, got together with Ray Power, Ray's a UA4A licensed coach, and they were discussing Jurgen Klopp and uh, his tactical birth, if you like, uh, as he as he cut his teeth at uh, mines in Germany. And they discuss uh, something fascinating about four phases of the game, something I'd never actually heard before, and uh, it was quite uh, it was quite interesting to hear that background into uh, the way Jurgen Klopp has. Uh, has studied tactics and how he's deployed them in all his sides through uh, through minds obviously Dortmund and onto his various uh, facets of Liverpool team uh, from when he took over from Brendan Rodgers and how things have evolved to today. So so go and listen to that one. We also had James Pierce from the Athletic. He is a regular guest on Media Matters and he joined Nina Kauser uh, recently just to discuss what will happen next when we might see Liverpool playing again, when we might see football again, and uh, just how important football is to uh, to everyone's lives. Now, to enjoy this fantastic content from AR Pro, we wanted to let you know that you can get the service now absolutely free for 30 days. Yes, 30 days instead of the usual seven days. And all you have to do to sign up is head to AnfieldIndexPro.com. There is a zero obligation, genuinely zero obligation to continue after the 30 days. If you don't like it, you can cancel at any point. If you decide just 
just to have the trial and then don't like it, you just cancel. It's very, very easy to do. We don't think you will once you do start listening to this content. We don't see too much drop off once people give it a chance and realize how much they enjoy it. They do tend to stick around, and that's because of the cost. The cost is very low. It's only £3.49 per month or £39.99 per year. So today on Off the Walk Navy, part two of the Mark Lawrenson story, Trev gets some further wonderful insight from Mark, this time about his time at Liverpool. It was a period of obscene success for the club and the legendary defender won the league in each of his first three campaigns. Incredible, really. And was part of a side that lifted the European Cup in Rome. And uh, Mark's time, obviously, at Liverpool was blighted by high school. So there's some discussion around that as well. Uh, And the the tragedy of of his own personal career, if you like, uh, which ended at only age 30. Incredible, really. Age 30, cut short by injury. And then obviously Mark moved into some management and things like that. Just as Liverpool... We're in the process of building uh, another all-conquering side under Kenny Dalglish. This is a refreshingly candid and open conversation with one of the greatest footballers of his generation, whose humility belies his legendary status and uh, continues, as you'll see, in his high-profile role as a TV pundit uh, with the BBC. Now, we'd always, as I always say, love your feedback on any of the shows, and we would love to welcome you into our free Discord community. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord, which is D-I-S-C-O-R-D. It's really worth your while. Just just type it in and come in. There's no point in me trying to tell you any more of what's in there, but there's so many threads, so many groups that you'll really enjoy being part of and, and, and debating and discussing with fellow Reds all over the world. We also welcome your feedback on the uh, traditional social platforms. We are on Facebook. Just type in Anfield Index to find us there and of course on Twitter as well we have two handles there first of all there's at Anfield Index and for the pro side content at Anfield Index Pro so let's do it let's get into it here is Mark Lawrenson in the company of Trev Downey for the interview part two hello and welcome to part two of the interview with Mark Lawrenson on Anfield Index Pro in part one we discussed Mark's early days at Brighton and before that at Preston and we just got ourselves up to the point where he was settling into life at Liverpool. I think we'll pick it up from that point there, Mark, if that suits you. Sure. Absolutely brilliant. Well, you were talking just before, at the end of the the, the previous um, episode, we were talking about your early days and um, you, the intimidation factor that you might have felt or might not have felt. And it seems that you you were basically at pains to point out that everyone was very friendly and welcoming in terms of, of uh, how you were treated in those early days. Um did you find any culture shock in the training? Because something that all the other previous interview uh, uh, subjects have said is that this idea of the mysticism of the Liverpool way, of the magic of what do Liverpool do in training was just a load of bunkum. It was a very, very simple thing that um, Jan Mulby and Paul Walsh and Peter Bursey have all said, we just mm-hmm. had better better players. That was it. We better players and we did simple things and we played, we trained with the ball. Is that pretty much it? Like I'm sure yeah. you've been asked this in your, in your media career, for which has been uh, su- such an accomplishment. I'm sure you've been asked this t- till you're blue in the face. It, what What is your take on that? No, same as the boys. We're, we, just, we just had really good players. People forget now, you know, it, any good team, it's all it's all about the players. Yes, the manager can make a difference, but he can't play, and and, and that's the way it was. And it was passing the ball to feet. And in all honesty, pre-season at Liverpool was nothing in comparison to to my pre-seasons at Brighton and my pre-seasons at Preston. And you really kind of they got you fit pre-season. Yes, you did quite a bit of running, but it it, it was never too bad. They we had this thing they call it the big run. We used to do it on a Tuesday and Thursday, and it, it actually it wasn't that bad, but they, they thought that it was, and we just played them up with it. But uh, they, they basically, the, the games got you fit 
for the for the start of the season, which of course is 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 the whole thing about it. And um, we were always in Melwood, never really left Melwood. You know, you didn't make us run on the road or anything like that. So everything was done within the confines of Melwood. We did mornings and afternoons uh, for the first two or three weeks, but you know, I think as the boys, everyone you've ever spoken to will tell you, it was all done with with the ball. And of course, it it was all part of the con job because you forget you you're actually running and working when you've got the ball because you're just enjoying the fact you got a ball, haven't you? Exactly. I, I, I mean, this early period, Mark, I mean, I, I know you've, you've had um, international recognition, you've won promotion, you've been player of the year, you've obviously been a very admired footballer up until this point of your career, but you walk into a club, like I said, the European Championships, and you just start winning things every mm. single season for three seasons in a row. The first three seasons you're there, Liverpool are champions. I mean, this is quite a remarkable thing for a young man to walk into. And it's not just that. It's like you didn't even have a sort of settling in period. You're straight in, Mark. You're you're a first team member from the start. Well, that was the thing now. In in those days, they actually bought players for, for 18 months down the line. So you could spend up to 18 months actually. In, in the reserves, and I, I was I was really fortunate to be honest with you because they realised uh, nothing to do with me. They, they realised I could play in, in all sorts of, of different positions, and like I came in the into the team at left back. My debut was at Wales at, at Wolves, played left back, and then I think next week I played centre back, and I might have played right. But I played actually, I played all across the back and all across the midfield. I even played left side midfield one day, would you believe, in a cup tie at Swansea and scored. But that was, I think, that was a real kind of Brucey bonus for me because it just meant I had more chances of, of getting in the team rather than just being pigeonholed as, oh, he's a right back or he's a left back or whatever. And, and it, and it, and it really, really did help. I mean, the day. My first league title. We just we'd won the uh, league cup. I think we beat Tottenham at, at, at Wembley in that in that one, and um, in the February March. And then the last day of the season for, to win the league, we had Tottenham at home, and uh, Nottingham Forest went to Ipswich. I think it was. I think it's Forest went went to Ipswich. And if we'd, I think if we'd lost and Forest had won, Forest won the league. Or was it? No, sorry, I've got that totally wrong. They went to Ipswich, but if Ipswich had won um, and we'd lost, Ipswich had, had won the league. They were, they were our closest challengers. And we played Tottenham. I played midfield alongside um, Souness and Hoddle was playing. And I tell you what, Trevor, he scored one of the best goals I've ever seen in my life. He hit this ball from 35 yards out, left foot, half volley. And I was the closest to him and it whistled past my ear. And it was like, oh my goodness me, just before half time, stunned. Silence, and we're thinking, crikey, and I think it was nil-nil at half-time, Ipswich versus Forest. And then fortunately, um, and this was Ray Clements' first game back at Anfield, because the day I signed for Liverpool, Ray signed for Tottenham, Jimmy Case went to Brighton, and a guy called Colin Irwin went to Swansea, and they went for a combined total of 915000 and of course he paid 900 for me, so they made fifteen grand on the day, plus he got rid of three wages and only got one. That's how clever Liverpool were. Anyway, it was Clem's, Clem's first game back, and I scored with a header from a corner, and when I say header, it was like about 14, 15 yards out, a big looping header at the cop end, 1-1, and then I played Kenny through, just flicked a ball over my head, um, played Kenny through. I think he scored and Ronnie scored as well, and and and, and we won three one. And as luck would have it, flipping Forest went to Ipswich and won anyway. But that was that was my uh, my I kind of think that 
when I sat in the dressing room after that match, I thought, yes. And bear in mind, I'd already won the League Cup, but I just, you know, you'd always want to win the League because it was 42 games in those days. And I just sat there and it was, what was really striking was the, the, the minimum amount of fuss. We all got in, we had a cup of tea, no high fives, no shouting, no nothing, whatever. It was just like, well, we've, you know, we've done it. We've, we've absolutely done it. So, um, yeah, that was, that, that was a fantastic day. But Mark, I mean, uh, uh, your, your your modesty is quite something here because you're talking about uh, you're, you're really talking down something there in terms of your versatility. I mean, you talked about being shunted around from pillar to post there, but not not many players can do that. And I think you played 39 out of those 42 ma- matches that you mentioned. So you're obviously you're obviously a guy who's capable of doing it in the first team in Liverpool in various positions. I mean, as you sat there in that dressing room, yeah, okay, it's um comparatively calm because these guys are serial winners, but yeah. You you must have had the biggest grin of all time in your face clutching yeah. that med. Yeah, well, you, listen, you don't get a med. You didn't get. A well, you don't get your medal, of course. It's in the it's in it's in Ronnie's box later it's on. It's in Ronnie's box, and you get it thrown to you that start of pre-season if you played enough games. Yeah, no, it was, and it was it it was it was a, it was a funny season in 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 many ways, insofar as we played Brighton away very early on in the season. Um, and that was me going back for the first time. But we were playing at AZ Alkmaar the following Wednesday in the European Cup. And on the Friday morning, Bob asked me to go in the office. I'd never been in the office. I thought, crikey, I'm in trouble. And he said, look, he said, I'm a, I'm a little bit embarrassed about this. He said, but I'm going to leave you out tomorrow. And he said, I have to say, and you know, he said, you've been our best player for the last, you know, however number of games that he said. He said, but the problem is, he said it's it's Europe and it's experience, which obviously you've got a lack of at the moment. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Phil Tomo back and play with um, with Alan Hansen. And he said so. He said we're brighting away tomorrow. He said I can say you've got a growing strain. So he off, he offered not just to leave me out, but also to say that I was injured. He said because I realise you go back to Brighton. He said and, and you know if you, if you want to go, you'd be sub anyway. Um, and I said no, I'm fine. He said, really? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great issue. I said, I'm obviously disappointed that you don't think I'm, I'm up to it to play in Europe. He said, it's not that you're up to it. It's just the fact it's just a different experience. And he said, mm. I'd like you to get used to it. I said, OK. Anyways, as luck would have it, I think um, I came on at Brighton for quite a large part of the game. I think, uh, oh, yeah, I think... Um, who got injured? I think, oh, Alan, Alan, Kennedy, Alan Kennedy got injured. And of course, the next thing then is, is um, we go to Altmar and we draw two-two. Tomo and, and and Alan played centre back, and they both made a mistake each. And Bob came up to me at the end of the game, and I, he just said to me, "Sorry, son," he said, I, "I've made the wrong decision. I won't ever do that again." Wow. So, yeah, I know. Yeah, good. In your first season, it's like it's it's good news for you. Well, yeah, it must have been. It's such a tremendous confidence boost. I'm wondering as well. I mean, the fact that you did play in all those various positions, did do you think that helped you with sort of um, mentally putting to bed the fact that you were Liverpool's record signing? Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely, undoubtedly. Because when you when you walk when I walked into that dressing room, and I, I remember I remember even even the echo. Uh, the, the local paper when they go, you know, Liverpool signed Lawrence for nine hundred thousand, and I can just imagine loads of scouts thinking, "Who's he? Where's yeah. he from?" I can't, I don't remember him. And and basically, people at the club told me after a while that that they'd watched me for a long, long time. 
watched me play in for Ireland, and he said, that's sort of when we really made our mind up thinking that you could play at you know, this level. He said, but one of them, we, we went with Brighton to Anfield, uh, and I played up against Kenny and just had a, a, you know, one of those really, really good days where everything went well. And, it, and it's funny, because, and I never thought about it at the time. We got beat 1-0 in the end. They, Liverpool going for the league, and guess who scored? Flaming Hansen, of all people, who had scored any goal in his life. Anyway, and, um, and uh, I remember one of the journals just came up to me in the corridor. He was about to get on the bus. Uh, one of the, the local Liverpool um, journals, um, John Keith, his name, he's, he's still around, actually. He's a legend over there. And he just said, hi, Mark, it's John Keith. Uh, and he said, uh, well played today. I said, oh, we got beat. He said, no, he, he went, you know, from a, from, a, from a personal point of view. And he said, uh, you know, they really like you here. And I just sort of looked at him and thought, you know, that bullshit. Like, it's giving me the old whatever. And I, I said, oh, right, okay. And, I, and you know what? I never I never even thought anything about it. But 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 obviously, the the man was telling the truth because uh, it, it it certainly panned out like that. Mark, if you, if you, that window of time there from when you arrive at the club really until when you are leaving the club, it's, it's a kind of a golden era and it's very much... Um, the formative stage of my support. I, I obviously I was following the team before that, but that mm. those days were the real days that I can remember. And I, I used to get to see games at the weekend and stuff like that on a regular basis. And obviously, like I suppose a, a huge amount of people at that stage, my my hero was well established in the in the former Kane delegation. I wonder, you know, I remember think I remember being sort of offended for him at the time that he he did he never won a European uh player of the year or anything like that. Um I know Graham Sunas who you've mentioned, um obviously he's gonna be biased, but he reckons he was as good as anyone in that era. Yes. When when Rumenigger was winning it and people like that. And and George Best, I saw a brilliant nineteen eighty six documentary about Kenny and it was set just I think it, kind of nineteen eighty six time. And uh again, Bet George Best saying this guy's as good as anyone I've seen. Um yeah. Was that apparent to you guys on the pitch at the time? Oh, crikey. Um, absolutely. He was, I mean, you know, we all live in Southport. There's, there's, there's me, Hanson, Ronnie, uh, Jim Beglin, Gary Gillespie, uh, Steve McMahon still got a house here. So we're all really, really close. But, and I'm, I've actually said this in front of Kenny. He was, he was the best player I ever played against and the best player I ever played with. And I said, but the thing was, I said, he couldn't run. He couldn't edit, and he had a big fat arse, but he was a genius. And he, he was, he was an absolute genius. He just knew, you know, if you think about it, most of the time he, he, play, he played with his back to the play, but he knew everything that was going on at the time. And you could give him the ball in any, diff, you know, different situation. He hardly ever got injured, never wore shin pads. And he was just like, he was the ultimate team player. I mean, sometimes he'd play and he'd just be just like sensational and you'd, you'd, me and Anton would be holding hands at the back thinking, oh, go on, get on with it. Dennis is great. We're sat in our armchairs. How good is this? But he, he, he was that good. But he'd come off, he'd get interviewed and he says, well, you know, he said, if I, I don't play with the other 10, he says, it's, I can't, I can't beat anyone on my own. He said, I think you're all like getting carried away. But he was, he was, he was absolutely brilliant. Really seriously was. And and it kind it, it it was another thing. Maybe as you say, um, it was a, the lack of that sort of um pushing himself forward into the spotlight to stop him from maybe winning one of those major honours that an awful lot of people. It seems to you know the the, the two things <laughs> self promotion and and that kind of thing seems to go hand in hand sometimes with those uh, yeah. awards. Yeah, I think I think I just wonder maybe if Scotland had had a little bit more success that that maybe that might have been the difference. But you'd think, you know, certainly after he scored the goal against Bruges in, what was that, 79? 78, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, straight away, then if, if you're kind of UEFA, basically, you must have looked at him and thought, my God, if you didn't know anything about him, who's this fellow? Surely somebody would have, would have um, followed up and, and said, God, this guy is so good, you know, you've got to give him the award. But, hey, it, it, it is what it is. It's probably the only flipping thing he's never won. Well, to be fair, he's not short of trinkets for his press anyway. Uh, I, I, I'm wondering, in, in, on the opposite, on the pol- polar opposite end of that, there were an awful lot of people knocking around the club who, again, actually, and you compare it to modern times, there are people, fans have their favourites and fans of the people that get, they get on, on their back. I'm wondering, who did you uh, consider to be massively underrated maybe at the club at that time, in that era, say, uh, especially in those earlier days? Well, I would say, uh, let me think, let me, I would say, I don't. I don't think Walkie ever really got the um, adulation he should have done and the praise. Yeah. Walkie scored nearly thirty goals from midfield one year, but the only the only problem was that that Russia would score more. But but and John Walk could play anywhere. By the way, he could have played centre back. Um, he it was a funny one. Walk. He was just people never really cottoned on to the fact how how good a player he was and his level of consistency. Um, was excellent and probably a little bit kind of Phil Neal, I would I would have said N- nearly was like one of the first two-footed players I'd, I'd ever played with. Obviously scored loads of goals in terms of penalties, etc. His, his passing was fantastic. He wasn't uh, a great defender at all, but he'd you know he'd he'd, he'd always kind of be in position. And, and he, I mean he 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 was he was seriously overrated. I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to put you on the spot in a few minutes and talk to you about defence, um, and maybe we might even link it into the modern times because, you know, and and this isn't this isn't in any way sort of fawning or anything like that. But yourself and Hansen, easily the two best defenders I've ever watched play, and not just as a partnership. I'm talking about as individual players. I could not get enough of watching you guys play because back in those days. I think, you know, people enjoyed that art a little bit more. They enjoyed a tackle. They enjoyed the idea of timing a sliding tackle or getting a foot in and getting an interception. And there's a sort of a, a sort of a snobbishness now about certain things like that that I see creeping into people's commentary. Uh, and I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'll be really interested to hear what you have to say about that. But just before we get to that, to that, uh, to that discussion about yourself and Hansen and the defense and all the rest of it, I was just struck by something that um, Paul Watts said in the last day, and, and it ties in with something you've mentioned earlier on with your medical. And he was saying that basically, you know, let's just say the medical treatment of the club wasn't perhaps the, at the off the standard that he would have liked at that time. I think Paul arrived yeah. in 80, 84. Um, yeah. And at that stage, I, I well, am I right in saying, Mark, that there wasn't a full-time physio until Kenny took over as manager? Yeah, well... Even when Kenny took over as manager, the physio was part-time. Was, was a guy called Paul Chadwick, who's, he still practices in Formby, which is probably five miles down the road from, from, from Southport, where we all live. And, you know, we'd, we'd been to him sort of, um, we'd been to him sent by the club on a few occasions. What used to happen, if, if you got a, what we call a serious injury, you were sent to see the specialist straight away. So, um, his name was Mr. Calver. Um, and he generated all the operations if he needed them. But it, the, the physios were basically Ronnie Moran. I mean, Bob was originally a physio, and Joe had a spell of, of, of physio long before I got there. And it was and it was sort of Ronnie Moran. Um, and in the treatment room, there was no windows. And what what would happen would be you would just put onto the, they called the interferential machine, and you you go in. You had to be in at nine o'clock, and they'd, they'd wire you up to this 
interferential machine which basically had pads and wires and sent like heat through your leg and all that sensations and stuff like that and they set the alarm on it for 20 minutes and they clear off they'd leave you to it so you know there was no banter unless another player was in there with you it was and it was this whole thing about you know make it really really uncomfortable for them when they're injured because boy they'll be desperate to get back training and it worked and they'd, they'd take you to Melwood it was the only time ever, as well as as a as a professional Liverpool, you could wear tracky bottoms if you were in. You couldn't, <laughs> right. couldn't wear them otherwise, and they just make you walk round the pitches and walk round and round. Assuming you could walk round and round and round till you're absolutely bored to hell. And and they'd say to you at the end of the week, "How are you feeling? Oh, I feel so much better. I feel like I could play." And it was just, it was all part of the ploy. But yeah, no, there was no um, there was there was no full time. Physio, and as I say, Paul Chadwick would come in sort of one o'clock, and then he'd sort of all the injured players. He'd write down what sort of treatment they needed, and the next morning that Ronnie Moran would put them all on the machines and stuff. But it was it was Kenny who was um, instrumental in, in just getting him in. That's the first. He never came with us to a game either, you know, Paul Chadwick. Just, just, just available if needs yeah. be. That's, it's a remarkable time. But Mark, I'm looking at your numbers here, and like in those first three seasons when you're winning three league titles and uh, three league cups, and you it, it ends up with a treble actually because there's a third trophy in that, and it's the big one in the final yeah. season. But you've got 59, 55, and 66 games. So you're not seeing much of a treatment room anyway. No, I was. Um, no, I was really, really lucky, and I never wore shin pads. I'm a bit like, can I never wore shin pads? I felt really uncomfortable with them. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, I kind of just sort of, you got to be lucky to, to play so many games. I mean, form obviously is a big thing, but injury is probably even bigger. And the, the thing as well, Trevor, in those days, if it, you know, if it was painful, but you weren't going to damage yourself further, you just played. We didn't. The days of cortisone injections were a little bit before us. I only ever had one in my life at uh, Brighton, which after I'd had it, I vowed never, ever to have that again, because all it does is mask the pain and makes the injury worse. It makes it actually chronic. Um, but you just, you, you, you played with the, the, the pain and, and that was it. It's just, it, just the way that it was. I remember one particular week, a, a little bit later, I had 10 stitches and a gash in my shin and I played six days later. Yeah. And, it was still really, really raw and a little kind of seeping still, and it just, it just bandies it up and said, "Ah, oh, you'll be absolutely fine." He said, "The worst thing is we might have to stitch you back up again." It was just, you just got on with it. <laughs> yeah, you, you say you say that like it's like it's something that that that's sort of uh, in the mindset of modern people, but it really is. I mean, I, and Peter said the same. He just he just he, I think he played some like you know 150 or 200 games in a row just because he could. And oh yeah, some days I was sore, but you just got on with it. It's exactly yeah. the same mentality you're talking about. Yeah, and it is. It, well, it's just, you know, it's, there's nothing worse than than being injured. So if you could possibly get through the pain. You just you just did it, and and it, and it was it was different, and everybody was generally of the same kind of mindset. You know, you, you, all the stories you read nowadays. Oh, I'm not I'm not of the right frame of mind to play football. Oh my goodness, how could you never be in the right frame of mind to play football? I just, I just I just that's something I cannot really accept when you consider that you know all those days as a kid, you were absolutely desperate to play, and then suddenly turn up. Oh, I'm not sort of my, my mind's not ready, and oh, do me a favour, no, not for me. Yeah, yeah. At least, anyway, you seem to have uh, uh, the the uh, 
as well as yourself, you seem to be surrounded by a lot of guys who who could remain yeah. fit for long periods of time, and that team did stay together. And like we say, it built and built. And we'll talk about the 1984 um, European Cup final in a minute. But I do want to talk about this uh, blossoming partnership that you had with Alan Hansen on the pitch, which it, it's it, like, I mean, it is, it, you know, and again, not wanting to, to seem as if I'm, I'm, I'm blowing smoke here, Mark, but it's the stuff of legend for Liverpool fans. It's, it's, it's like I said, it's the best I've seen. And, um, you know, for, for any fans who like me have a four in, in the first part of the rage, and we're lucky enough to witness, you know, the, the, the sort of combination of you two guys. Like I'm talking about, you know, the the precision and the tackle, the pace that you both had, the the lack of fuss, you know, um, both skillful on the ball and 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 you know, hardy when necessary, kind of quiet toughness. You compare that to the defending that the last few years uh, has seen at Liverpool, and it's 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 an intolerable intoler- kind of a torture at times for people like me to watch. Yeah. You know, I, I guess even younger fans than me will will think of. Uh, the days of Hoopy and Honcho, or maybe later Hoopy and Carragher, and think, well, why can't we be like that again? But none of those, neither of those two partnerships had anything on you. Like, I mean, did you, were you guys kind of just, did you notice that from very early on that uh, this thing that people say that, you know, I knew that he would go and I'd stay? Or yeah. was, was, was it just a kind of a telepathic thing that you used to hear about in the, yeah. back in the day? Yeah. I mean, people say telepathic, but I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to big us up, but but I think we're both quite intelligent guys. We got all our O levels. We both studied and spoke Latin at school and everything. So we we weren't stupid. And you know, I think if you got a modicum of intelligence in play in that position, don't forget that you you know you're generally facing the play most of the time. Um, so you can actually you know see what's going on and and try and sort of nip things in the bud. But but Al, I mean, if, if you speak to Ali, he probably would say to his best partner was Tomo because Tomo basically taught him as they were playing together. And I, I absolutely, totally understand that. And and the game was the game was just really, really easy to Ali. Never his kit was never dirty. You know, it was like it was the whole thing was just ridiculously easy. And in those days, most teams had a, a big, what I would call big thug of a centre forward, be Andy Gray, Mickey Harford. Joey, um, uh, Joe Jordan, all those kind of fellas. So you'd have a real, real battle. Um, so Regis and, and, and those kind of players, but it, it just, it, it just was what it was. And, um, you know, I'll play next to, uh, to Alan Kennedy and Alan Kennedy wasn't a particularly outstanding footballer, but he worked in our team, but Al just, Al basically played his role and then looked after Alan and I suppose defensively I was a bit like that with Neely because Neely just liked to bomb on and stuff and you know they'd always say to me if the opposition played with a left winger up against Phil they'd go Loro you know what to do and it was basically I had just to take an extra step to my right just in case Neely got skinned by the left winger and it was just you know you, you did it but I think I think the best thing for us was the fact that we were comfortable on the ball so we could we could come out and play and, mm. you know, Sunes absolutely loved the fact he'd play one-twos off you and all those kind of things. And, um, you know, it was it was just what it was. But Al, honestly, Al was just so ridiculously talented. It, it, it was easy. And Al's only problem would be against the little fellas because he had, he was, he's two inches taller than me, longer, longer legs. And it was just a little bit more difficult getting in amongst the little fellas with short steps. And I remember one day we... We went to Coventry and we got done 4-0 and little Terry Gibson, who was decent, but, you know, I'm being kind to him, he scored a hat-trick. 
And Joe had just taken over as manager and we came at the end of the game and me and Al like walked off together and we thought, oh, we're going to cop it here, we're going to get it. Joe very, very rarely ever really lost it. I think probably only on three occasions I ever saw him do it and it was like, it was impressively frightening. Um, we, walked, <laughs> we walked in and sat down and you know, you're like, you're staring at your boots, you're thinking, here it's coming. And he just looked, he went, you two. And he went, you two Herberts. I know if he called us Herberts. He said, you two Herberts. And we sort of looked up and he went, promise me something. And he went, what boss? Promise me that will never, ever happen again. No boss, it won't happen again. Get in the bath, let's go. And that was it. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely and he, he love did, that. He did another thing as well, Joe, while I'm on that subject, Joe, we lost uh, one of the first Sunday FA Cup ties at Brighton, of, of all places, when I was playing for Liverpool on a real quagmire of a pitch. We got done 2 0, I think. Um, Mick McCarthy's assistant, Terry, is it Terry Gibson? Terry Connor. He scored one of the goals, I seem to remember. But Sunes went off after about 15 minutes. He'd done his hammy, tweaked his hammy. And we got beat. It was a real shock. We were we were absolutely hopeless. Not just me and Al, but the whole team. We were rubbish. And got in the dressing room again. And Joe just went, get in the shower, bath, whatever. Get on the bus and let's go home. So we thought, got away with this. So jump on the bus. And of course, those days, there was no M25. So you literally went through the middle of London to get on the M1 and to get on the M6, etc. To, to go. But anyway, as we were going through the middle of London, the Marylebone Road, we thought, Oh, this is a different route. Is he, is he lost the drive or something? The next thing is we pull up outside this hotel. I think it was called, oh, what was it called? The Fitzwilliam Hotel or the Mountbatten, some, something like that. Joe stood up at the front of the coaches and pulled up, went, everybody off. And we're thinking, what's he doing? And he went in, he went, come on, come in. Went into the bar, bought everyone a drink. And he just, same thing. And he just said, he said, is it me? He said, or were we really hopeless today? And we went, Gaffer, we were, we were hopeless. He went, right. He said, that's your one for the season. And he said, drink up. Let's get back on the bus. And off we went. And did, do you believe that that had the desired effect? Yeah, no, it does. It, the thing, thing, everybody, I mean, don't get me wrong. We all, we all, we love Bob and we love Kenny with his manager and all those kind of things. We have such relationships with him. But, but Joe was just a little bit different because Joe, Joe was a brains for me. He was, he was, Brilliant with with Bob, you know. He would. He Joe just watched and saw things and took things in and remembered everything and and all those kind of things. And he and he was just really matter the fact, you know. If it was black, it was black. If it was white, it was it was white. And I, re- I remember when he got the job and Graham had just got the captaincy. Graham Sunes, first day pre-season, and they'd already written him off. Because if you remember when Bob got the job, we didn't win for how many games or whatever. And they said, oh, no one's going to follow Shankin. And of course, Bob obviously didn't follow him. He usurped him. And then when he got it to Joe, he said, well, this can't happen again. You know, surely this must be the end. And I remember Graham coming in the dressing room, as I say, first day of pre-season. And he said, oh, we've got a trip, a pre-season trip to Marbella, Trevor. Can you believe that? They had no idea what Marbella was or even where it was. We're going, oh, my God, how was that? And we're allowed to have a beer pre-season and all that kind of stuff. So that, So that was a good news. And then Graham just said, he took it on himself. He said, right. He said, they obviously think Joe's going to fail. Well, he's not, is he? And we went, no, he's not. And that year, we won the three trophies, which was Joe's first year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just these stories, Mark. I mean, they're, they are way too regular and consistent for it not to be a thing. And there was something beautiful about the way you described earlier on the idea of, 
you know what to do, Mark, because basically uh, Phil's up against a tricky guy here. He, he's probably going to get skinned a couple of times. So you just watch out for him. And it's that thing you're talking about. It's just a basic intelligence, I guess, in an era of of, of heat maps and, 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 and all sorts of, um, uh, you know, at times over analysis of the basics. I think they have too much information. You know what I think with players at the moment is sometimes they, they, they don't have to think for themselves because somebody's thinking for them. I just think sometimes actually pull back a bit from like, you know, mega information and just give them what, just enough for them to, to, to get on with them and let them actually make some decisions for themselves. I think, I think that's part of the problem. But the, the other thing as well, which I, I, I don't know whether Jan or Pedro, as we know, Peter Beasley and Walsh, you've told you about the, the pitch at Melwood that used to call Wembley. Uh, no, that hasn't come no. up at all. Right. Okay. We had, we had, uh, three or four training pitches, but the best one was called Wembley, okay, which we trained on all the time, but we only ever trained in one half of the pitch. And the re- this is how clever they were. And the reason was, and if, if the, in the fire signs, if the ball went on the other, the other half of the pitch, you just left it. You never ran for it. You just got another ball. And we were thinking, what's all that about? What it was was no under, under soil heating in those days. So they left one half of Wembley, as they called it, and it was absolutely flat. It was in fantastic conditions. So if it snowed or it froze, you could train on it and there'd be no ruts. How clever was that? That's brilliant. Isn't Absol- it? That's but great. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and if, I, if, you ever, if you ever ran for a ball on Wembley, you'd go, what are you doing? Get out. <laughs> Get Wembley, fantastic. Oh, magic. I, I, I'm, I'm, I was talking to somebody, um, uh, and mentioned that, you know, I was going to be chatting to you for this. And it's, it's, it's a, a guy called Carl Kopak, who I work with uh, on Anvil Index. And he was on, um, the Anvil Index podcast with me during the week. And I was asking Carl, what, what should I ask Mark? Any questions for Mark? And he did mention something that actually fits right in here on the top, just coming off the topic of the defense. Because we've been talking in our show about, you know, the importance of, of, of the midfield actually helping out some defenders, maybe yeah, yeah. it's skittish. Now, you guys were never that. You guys were, if anything, likely to out midfield the midfielders. But I'm wondering, did you have, uh, was that midfield, did it give you a sense of sort of, uh, uh confidence and, and that kind of thing? Graham, Graham Sunes. Graham, yeah. he just, he just had this presence about him. He, he actually never got the praise that he should have had. He was absolutely top, top class player. He really seriously was. You could give him the ball under pressure, two fellas on him or, or whatever. And the thing, the thing about Graham, he had this awe about him, but also he was frightening to the opposition because, um, he, he did one or two things. I mean, if he, if he, if Graham was playing now, he'd be banned for half the season, to be honest with you. But what a, what a fantastic player. But he was, he was just this presence and, you know, the best, compliment I could play to, 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 to Graham, pay to Graham would be like, look, look at the players who played alongside him. Uh, Terry Mack scored all those goals for a few seasons, played alongside Graham because Graham would just let him go and play and, and Graham sorted it out. Walkie, as I said before, was, was another one who played with him. Um, and he just, he just, he just had this, had this presence. And if there was ever, you know, if there was ever handbags and stuff, Graham would just come in and it would just stop straight away because he would, he would have, well, he did. He would for anyone. He, and well, he did, didn't he? He broke the fellow's jaw who played for uh, Dinamo Bucharest, but, um, how come? Well, th- those stories, and you're right, and that, um, the reality of the fact that he did used to, that he has done those things and they were caught on camera and all that kind of stuff. I mm. think you're right. I think it detracted from, what was just a, an 
absurdly talented footballer. I think people sometimes uh, gloss over that and they're in their eagerness to talk about the hard man thing, you know. He was a great trainer. And uh, he was really, he had really big legs, Graham and stuff. So he would he he put most of his kit on, training kit, and then he put a black bin bag on. Yeah. So, and he put the black bin bin bag on and he used to sweat like a pig. And that that just obviously he's obviously lost quite a bit of weight. I don't I don't know how much, but he he just said he just he just felt so so much better. He just he struggled a little bit with his weight, and yet when you see him now, he looks he looks really really trim. Yeah, I guess I guess it's just it's different different times of your life. People have different yeah. they, they they it goes in a different way. Different I mean, and everything, isn't it? Exactly. Um, I, 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 I'm building up towards talking about this 84 game because I do want I do want to get your take on it because it's obviously you know in many ways it's the, the kind of the the biggest game that you you you, you yeah. play in terms of the result that uh, in your Liverpool career. But you know you're as 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 you're you're on the back of of you're heading towards a third league title title. You've got three league cups in the bag and you're heading towards that. Um, uh, 1984 European Cup final. Look, you're, you are a part of, an integral part of, and a respected part of the best club side in the pre-internet world, as far as we, we could, we could see. Um, yeah. This is, this is the times before the, 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 the real, you know, super money started to flood in. And it's times, like I say, it's pre-internet. How were, were you aware of, of, of the, of, how did you know about the status of the club? What I'm saying to you is, well, outside of, of the occasional chap from Shoot Magazine coming down to take your photo, uh, maybe uh, football-focused uh, cameras coming down to interview one of the guys, did, how did you guys know about your status? Um, I suppose um, probably as much as the history of the club was, was the big thing. The, the, you know, within a week you get the history of the club. Not somebody doesn't tell you. You just, you know, you just, it's, you're aware of it and you've only got to walk around and look at all the, the trophies and all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, the, the, the following, obviously, and some of the things that supporters would do just, just to get to the game, you know, the, the support we used to get in Europe used to be absolutely, uh, phenomenal. And it, it was, I mean, I think the thing was it that you were you were like Trevor, it's like living in a bubble, and it, and it really was. And and a lot of the time it it was a job, and um, that's probably the only way you could approach it. Because if you, if you started thinking about other things, you, you were gone, you were toast. So it it, it you know you you go to Southampton and you'd obviously you'd go and you'd want to win. And and again, as I said to you before, you know the road system was was rubbish. Now they don't they don't they only put place they don't fly to generally is, is is the Midlands, but Midlands South, Liverpool just going a plane. We used to get on the bus and you think you go to Southampton, sit in the dressing room and think, Christ, if we lose today, we've got six hours in the old rackety coach, like can't wait, not. So yeah. and that's how and we were always, you know, we'd we'd um we played Luton at home, beat them five nil, Russia scored all five on the Saturday and on the Monday morning we're training at Melwood on Wembley and Rush's first touch was awful, and Ronnie Moran just went, same player. And, you know, as he was just sort of saying, was same player who scored five on Saturday, just miscontrolled the first ball he's received. And it was that. It was always a leveller. And they were, used to, there used to be a league in Liverpool called the Zingari League, which is just the local amateurs. And he'd come off sometimes, and, you know, he might have beat someone four, five, six, no, whatever. And Joe or Ronnie, more so Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie Moran, Ronnie Moran would, would, you know, he'd come in and all that. Yeah, yeah, well done, boys. It's all good. Yeah, bloody, bloody, bro. And Ronnie would just go. He said, "I know a team in Zingari League would, would have beaten that lot." So that's just that's just the way it was. You know about the medals. 
you know, come in pre-season. How many games did you play? You had to play, I think, a third, so 14 to get a medal. I remember Dave Hodgson, I think, one year he went 13, Ronnie and Ronnie went unlucky, so he didn't get a medal. And, <laughs> right. it, was, and it was that kind of, it's not vicious because it's just part of the, the, the dressing room. And I, I remember one day um, I was... I was a little bit back. I was late back from Melwood. I can't, I had to do something. It was for some media stuff and they wanted to do it at Melwood or whatever. Anyway, so it was a Thursday. We're playing away on the, on the, on the Saturday and generally they'd come in and they'd say, right, you, 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 bring your stuff tomorrow, traveling. That's all they said. Traveling as in you're traveling with the first team, you're going away, no team mm-hmm. or anything. And I'd missed it. So it was Thursday afternoon. And in those days when they still had the boot room, there was Joe, Ronnie, Roy, Tom Saunders, uh, John Benison, Chris Lawler. Yeah, I think there was probably six of them. And they were literally they sat on skips. There was no chairs. They sat in the old boot room amongst the boots on skips. And they'd have a little tot of whiskey on a Thursday. And it, we used to say they're pushing and running in there, which was basically um, they, were pick, they were picking the team for the weekend if it wasn't already picked. And you'd have to knock on the door. And it, and it was like, you know, you might have won three leagues titles in a row and all that kind of stuff. But when you knocked on the door, you just thought, oh, here we'll go. And the barrage. What's the shout from Mark? Uh, uh, Mark Lawrence, can I can I have a word? Yes. <laughs> so you'd open the door, and they'd all look at us over and say, "What do you want? You're, you're we're having a nice chat here, we're having a little drink. What's your problem?" And they go, um, "Right, so bring me back tomorrow." And straight away, Ronnie would go, "Oh, oh, did you hear that, Joe?" And he said, "Yeah, I heard it, Ronnie. Bring your bag tomorrow." So you're picking yourself, son, are you? And I went, no, but I just, I didn't know, and I missed, you know, you, you came round and I was at Melwood and all that kind of thing. So, so you think you're playing well, do you? And I went, no, not really, Ronnie, it's whatever. And he went, yeah, yeah, Joe, shall he bring his bag? Uh, yeah, go on then. And <laughs> that was just, just, the, just the way they were. Yeah, you just got away with nothing. You mentioned there briefly in passing about the, the, some little media work. Was that something that took your eye from very early on, considering you've gone on to make such a good career of it? No, it wasn't. It was, um, I think, I think where we were probably lucky, especially me and Al, was that we just kind of tended to do loads. If, you know, if somebody asks you to do something, you just go, yeah, within reason. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think the problem is that obviously the more and more successful you are, the more and more you do stuff. But I mean, one of the funniest things I ever, ever heard was, was, um, Alan Kennedy's, Alan Kennedy's got many, many nicknames. You used to call him Billy Bungalow. He had nothing upstairs, right? And <laughs> stuff like that. And I remember we had this thing called Club Call and we were duty bound and this guy called Brian Baird, I think, I think he's still reporting. He might be doing like lower league games for Sky on a Saturday. I think, I think it's Brian Baird and he was, unfortunately, he was, he was Liverpool's Club Call guy and every, everybody hated it and it was like, it was a, it was a load of crap to be honest with you. But we did it. Obviously the club were getting a few quid, but I just remember one day. We played at home and we draw nil nil. It was absolutely, it was just like nothing had really happened. We couldn't score, they couldn't score, wherever we were playing and stuff like that. And he nabbed Alan Kennedy as Alan Kennedy was making his way to the players' lounge. And there used to be a little kind of room where uh, it was like a closet. It had mops in and all cleaning stuff that the cleaning ladies used to clean all the, you know, round by the treatment room and the dress rooms and all those kind of things. And, and Brian Baird was interviewing uh, Alan Kennedy, and he, he unfortunately left the door open. And as I'm walking past, I saw Alan didn't see me, and I I I saw Brian Bird, and I, and I just waited and waited. And, I, and Brian Bird said to him, "Well, Alan, it wasn't wasn't really too much of a game today, was it?" 
And it, I went, he said to him, I'll never forget, he went, do you know what, Brian? He said it was dog eat dog or vice versa. Well, my God, I, mean, <laughs> I could not wait to tell everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. It was dog eat dog or vice versa. Oh, my God. Uh, I can just imagine the two Latin scholars having a chuckle about that one, all right. <laughs> I've been pulling off and pulling off getting to this match, but I want to talk about the 84 uh, European Cup final because it's, uh, again, it's got its own mythology and we know the stories about the Chris Ria song and all the rest of it, but yeah. it, it, it must have been, it must have been quite, quite a, a, an intimidating atmosphere anyway to be going to, Ro- to Rome to play Roma and, you know, in that, in that great old stadium. Um, the the team that you were up against, I mean, I, I recall seeing them, you know, throughout that season a couple of times thinking, Christ, these are good. Yeah. Um, was there a feeling that, oh, we may just have gone a step too far this time? Was there ever any doubt amongst you guys? There seems to be this lovely, quiet confidence in that team. And I, I guess any team with yourself and, 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 and Hansen and Sunes is not going to be lacking in that. But what, was, there, was there a genuine wariness about that game going into it? You know, but not really. We didn't know much about Roma because you forget we we didn't see Italian football. We never we never really talked about the opposition before we played them. We never saw any videos. The only thing we were obviously aware was that they were playing at home in the European Cup final and they'd beaten what I think Dundee United, didn't they? Uh, yeah. Home home and away to to qualify for the final. But when you actually, you know, I remember looking at it at the end of the season and we actually won the European Cup that year that year by our away performances. I think we went to Bilbao, who were a really, really good side. Um, I think we, I think we drew nil-nil at home. They were a very, very good side, and we ended up winning one-nil in Bilbao. And uh, I remember that game. The, the atmosphere was sensational. It was absolutely fantastic. And we didn't understand that you had to be born in the in the Bass region to play. We knew none of all that stuff. I remember uh, Alan Kennedy cross for uh, for Russia to score with the header. We called it. He was immediately called Tosh after that. Short for Toshak. And we went, I think, I think we might have beaten Benfica on that run. And then we got, we got, and you, you'll have heard the story. Well, Dino Abucarest when Graham broke the guy's jaw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The guy's name was Mavila. So, um, the straight, the aftermath, we win one nil. I think little Sammy Lee scored his fat, his round, he bounces off the ground. I think he scored with a header from a corner at the cop end and, and Graham smacked this fellow and you, you just heard his jaw crack. Anyway, their manager, the Dino Abucarest manager afterwards, was just quick to point out, forget about result, but uh, soonest, soonest, we know exactly what you did. Will you be that brave next Wednesday when we play, when you come to Bucharest, all those kind of things. So the day of the game in Bucharest, we weren't, we were never allowed to train on the pitch as they are nowadays. But Joe said to us, let's go, he used to say, let's go and look at the wicket, as in, let's go look at the pitch. So we, we got in the coach, we we're training somewhere else, got in the coach, went down to the ground. And of course, it's Eastern Block. Um, soon as we pulled up in the, in the coach, absolutely lashing down. We were ringed with soldiers with guns and all that kind of stuff. And I was just kind of sat halfway down the bus, minding my own business, leant against the window, thinking, well, we're not going to go and look at the wicket, so whatever. And there was a knock. And as I looked, it was a soldier. And he just made that thing across your throat, that thingy as I'm going to chop your throat. And straight away I went, no, it wasn't me. It was him and pointed to Sunes. And <laughs> if you remember, if you remember, I think there was Graham, uh, was I don't know whether Davy Jono was still around. There was me, there was a few of us with long, dark hair and tashes. And we obviously yeah. all looked the same. But we, one thing you didn't want to be mis- mistaken for was Graham that day. Anyway, long story short, when we went out to warm up before the game, there's 70,000 people in the stadium, most of them from the army and all that kind of stuff. And it's lashing down a rain. 
and we thought, you know, the game had a chance of being called up because it was a semi-final, maybe not. And every time the ball came to, to Graham in the warm-up, he kept dumbing it, and like 70,000 people were booing him and were going, oh, my God, Charlie, I think you might have gone like one step too far. They tried to break his leg. They split his shin pad in two, but he, he was sensational that night. And that night was also... Bobby Robson was the England national team manager. And I don't know how he did it. He got in our dresser room before uh, Ronnie Roy uh, um, Ronnie Roy and Joe got in. And he stood on the table, Brian, um, Brian Robson, Bobby Robson. He said, guys, he said, I have to tell you, that's the best away performance I've ever seen from any football team anywhere in my life. Just as Joe and Ronnie came in and, and Joe just looked at him and went, Bobby. We never praise our players. And then, to be fair to Joe, he just did this little dance and did a bit of a whoop and all that because obviously we'd, we'd got to the final. And, um, yeah, so we, you know, I mean, then we got we got to Rome and I just remember we always we always went to Israel. We used to go to Israel, play the national team. We used to get there. We used to fly overnight Saturday, get there on Sunday, play on Monday because if we didn't play on Monday, we were too drunk to play any of the other days. We used to have about a week. And they always just said to us, look, you can enjoy yourself. But when we when we went the year of the the uh, European Cup final, Joe said, the only problem is, he said, we're going to have to train every day. He said, but you can still go out. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness me. It's incredible. And I, and, yeah, it is incredible. It is incredible. And you know the super agent, Peeney Zahavi? Yeah. Yeah, Peeney. He, he basically organised it. He, and we are absolutely, totally certain that he ran the country. He was he was incredible. Anyway, so we'd, we'd have a great week and all that kind of stuff. And um. And I remember coming back and on the, we trained on the Saturday morning before we play Rome on the Wednesday. And, you know, we'd had a great week. We've all come back with Tan. We've had a good laugh. You know, everyone got on absolutely famously and, and all that. The boot room staff had a, and we were flying in training, Trevor. We were really seriously flying. And I remember I was kind of, we were playing the side or something. I must have been on the right wing, whatever. You could play wherever you wanted as long as you, you know, you worked hard. They weren't bothered. You didn't have to play your position or anything. And I just remember, and I just heard Joe turn to Ronnie. I was, it was right by the touchline where I was, and he went, he went, bloody hell, Ronnie. He said, you need to blow the whistle. He said, we're ready. We are ready. And I just remember he said that we are ready. And the day of the game, we went to train, and it, honestly, you, you wouldn't have let your dog go on this place where they took us. It, it was minging. And straight away, Joe turned it into positive, and he, he said, right, back on the bus. We're not training here. Got all back on the bus, and he said, look, he said, they are frightened to death. He said, that place there, you could have done your ankles. He said, they knew that, Roma. He said, so so they are worried about you. And then at lunchtime, we had a kind of sort of pre-match lunch plus a little bit of a meeting. And he said, uh, you know, this is our team. He said, I've got this directive from UEFA that says um, they're a little bit worried that, you know, where the Liverpool fans are going to be. They don't want you running to them. So you might incite the Roma, Roma um, supporters when we score. And we sort of went, right, OK. He said, but I'll tell you this now, when we get our third one, he says, you can do what you want. <laughs> that, that was the basis of his team talk. And then we did, we did, as everybody knows, where we got there early and changing rooms were in the corner of the ground and you had to go up loads of steps and stuff like that. We got in the dressing room and, again, Joe, Ronnie, Roy just went, get out, we need to put the kiss out, go on, clear off, go and look at the wicket. So we went downstairs, got to the edge of the pitch and literally three quarters of the, the stadium, the Roma supporters, it was full. This is like an hour and 45 minutes for the kickoff. Absolutely full. All that had made the way in the end. We were probably still in the bars and the pubs. And Graham said, Graham, typical Graham, let's walk around the pitch. 
So we walked around the pitch and there was, like, there was a kiddies game going on and stuff. And they were chucking bottles of water out and absolutely everything. And Graham was like chest out and, you know, it was, it was going to be his day. And as we walked back, so we're walking now single file back up the steps, corner of the ground, into our dressing room, tucked away in the corner. Somebody started singing the Chris Rea song. I don't know what it is, but I love it. So we all started singing it. Never thought anything of it. Obviously, win on pens. Uh, Bruce's wobbly legs, although he, I'm sure he went the wrong way for all of the five pens because he was not near any one of them, right? Mm. And their manager was a guy, a Swedish coach called Niels Liedholm. And in the press conference afterwards, uh, usually when you go in, obviously people start asking questions. Apparently, he just basically gave this whole kind of diatribe about what happened and everything. And one of his first sentences was, I knew we were going to lose tonight. He said... And my players knew they were going to lose. He said, because I was giving my players a team talk in the dressing room. And he said, and we heard this singing. And he said, the singing got louder and louder and louder. And he said, suddenly, he said, the realization, he said, I had that it was Liverpool players singing. He said, I looked at my players and he said, they just went white. And he just thought to himself, uh oh, we are in trouble. Great, isn't it? Marty, you know what? It really is great because I'm listening to those stories and they're all these little, like you say, um, little, they're understated little signifiers mm-hmm. to you guys that we are going to win here. You, yeah. it's almost like you're being told and it's not, it's not in an arrogant way, but there's no, there's no study of the opposition because it doesn't matter. We are going to win. We are better than this lot. And you're not, nobody's telling you that to your face, but there are these little hints that you guys are all picking up on. It's actually, uh, yeah. it's wonderful psychology, really, isn't it? It is. But did, but did you know the really sad thing about all that? Remember their captain? I think his name was Bartolome. I think I may be wrong. And he was a really good midfield player, played alongside Falcao. Um, Ten years to the day that he missed the penalty, he committed suicide. I didn't know that. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. In that team, wasn't there a kid called Janini that played for them as well? It was very, very handy, I think, in I that role. The, the boy up front wasn't bad. The boy who scored for them from, from the corner wasn't uh, a bad player. Masses of ginger kind of ringlets and stuff. He, he, was, he, he was decent. But, I mean, the thing was, I mean... Um, I think Ronnie Whelan, he topped Falcao, didn't he? I think he he was good at that, just arriving a split second too late. And I think (laughs) Falcao basically, like you say, I'm going to do you. And then, of course, Sunez joined in. He went, if you're going to do him, you say, you've got to do me first. And that was like, they sort of like climbed down a little bit. And they realised, they think, oh, my God, like this fella's like, they might fight us as well. So, um, and we weren't, you know, we weren't. Really like that. Obviously, Graham could severely look after himself. Me and Al, we, we kind of never fell out with anybody. Alan Kennedy didn't really tackle, nearly definitely didn't. So, you know, we, we were like, we, we used to call it the interceptors team rather than the tackling team. Yeah, yeah. well, it worked, you know. <laughs> I, I, I guess, you know, as you're parading around there, and you must be thinking, okay, this this winning thing just is a thing that happens at the end of every year. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you've you've so landed on your feet and you found mm-hmm. a club that, that, that absolutely sort of merits the ability that you've shown throughout your career. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely, it must be the pinnacle in many ways. And then there's a couple of seasons like, 
I remember this period because it went on after you left as well to where it was every second year Liverpool would do well every second year well I was saying do well every second year Liverpool would win but every second year they would be second and it, it was there was that run where Everton and yourselves were were push, pushing for supremacy in the country never mind the city that must have been uh, such an exciting time to be in Liverpool yeah yeah it was great and and you know I mean um, quite a few of the Everton players lived out where we were. I mean, we were me and me and Ronnie were big mates with Sharpie with, with, with Graham. It was by the way talking about underrated football. Graham, Graham Sharp certainly was, and now we we kind of you know we got we got on famously, and I don't think there's any great problem. But I mean, they they had a real real top side, and, and I mean the unfortunate from unfortunate thing from their point of view. Obviously, we all got banned from Europe, but. I'm looking at that team, when you when you look at that team, I can remember all the players now, and I think they would have had a good chance of winning the European Cup, but but obviously it wasn't to be. Although although the cynics and it it, it would have to be a red fan. It, you re- remember they were sponsored by NEC. Yeah. And a some bloke within a day came up with no European Cup or something. It's typical Scouse humour. <laughs> yeah, harsh but fair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, as I say, it was that kind of every second season thing where eighty four, eighty five. And look, Mark. I mean, we could. I, I, I've, I've, I've on the first episode of this. I think I spoke um, uh, to Jan briefly. Then Peter went into some details about the about Heysel at the end of the eighty four, eighty five campaign. And you know, it, it's a thing. It's a topic that warrants um, some sort. Of uh, some somber reflection, and I know your own your own experience of it though was so uh, so unique compared to everybody else because you were really sort of detached from it and sort of alienated in the way that you had to go off in that uh, your second European Cup final in a row. And you're taken off injured, and you end up basically very much isolated from the group and kind of uh, it must have been it's it sounded like kind of a a, a frightening experience. What what I've read of, of what you put up with. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the, the other thing is that, you know, the whole thing as well, we never ever speak about it as a group, you know, never, ever, ever. It's amazing. It is like the elephant in the room. And I, I don't really know why even now after after so long. But, I mean, I was struggling to play anyway. Uh, I dislocated my shoulder about two and a half, three weeks before the final. Um and Mr. Carver, obviously, especially said, look, you, you, you'll be all right for the final. But Joe wanted me to play in. Um, a, a friendly that arranged, they'd arranged. I don't, I think it was Chester and me and Craig, Craig Johnson, um, because he was struggling a little bit, and we played in played in this this game. To be honest with you, it, it was a waste of time because I could have played in my slippers. It wasn't really a, a test or anything. But Joe says, "Are you, you know, you fit?" And the whole thing with me was, I was going to have an operation anyway, and, and as soon as we got back after the final, to to have my um shoulder pinned and all that kind of stuff. So. I just remember um, we're in the dressing room and we didn't have a clue what was going on. And, and, and after a while, actually, Joe got all the players back in the dressing room because, you know, he, he didn't want to, he didn't want people coming in saying, oh, I've heard there's people dead, there's this money, there's that money, all, all those kind of things. Um, and I remember the, uh, the chief of um, Brussels police came in and he just said to us, we're going to play the game. And we went, what? He said, we are going to play the game. He said, I've spoken to Juventus. He said, and the reason we are going to play this game is I am, he said, I am responsible for everybody now in this stadium. I'm responsible for everything that's happened. And I am really, really worried that if we say the game's off, there could be even more trouble. And we're going, how can you expect us to play? Anyway, so, so, we're, so we're going to play. 
and we spent hours in, in, in this dressing room and we were literally right next to the wall that, that you know, that, that went over and, and stuff. And um, I just remember coming out, start, all right, nearly, nearly that's, that's nearly to get on the tannoy to our supporters and they booed him and stuff. And, um, you know, I, th- I think as everyone realises now, he was seriously infiltrated by the National Front and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we went out to play and... It was just eerie. It was just odd, uh, very, very strange. And I think the second minute of the game, I've gone to tackle Platini, of all, of all people, and I kind of I went down and just landed on my shoulder, but not heavily. Well, it came out straight away. And I just remember, I mean, once it comes out, that was it. You, you, there's, there's no chance. And I remember, apparently, my missus said to me, um, I limped off. Which apparently is something you, you quite sort of naturally do, which is extremely strange when you've injured your arm. And yeah. The pain's bad. The pain's not. The pain's horrible when you dislocate anything anyway. And um, and I and I came off. And you know, told you the doctor story before yeah. the, the two brothers. Yeah. And guess who it was? It was a thin one. It was. All right. <laughs> the useless one. <laughs> yeah, the useless one. So I, I, I get in the changing room. And we had a, it's the first time we'd ever had like a, a bodyguard with us. His name was Tony Chin and he was wider than he was tall, but he was a martial arts expert. All the boys knew him. He was, he was a really, really nice boy. There was, was never any trouble because he could, he could charm absolutely everybody. There was never any incidents. Anyway, he came in the dressing room with me with the doc and the doc said to me, kit, I've got my kits on my boots, the lot. I can't take them off because I've only got one arm. And, um, he said, right, Mark, lie on the table. I went, right. Okay. So I lay on the table and he went, no, 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 no. He said, lay on the table face down. Well, that was difficult enough because with only, if you, you know, if you imagine it with only one arm, so I'm doing all that kind of stuff. And he said, and now I want you, he said, you know, the, the, the arm and the shoulder that you've injured, I want you just to sort of get it over the edge of the table. And I went, I'm looking at him and think, God, why? He said, look, look. And he, he said these words, which you, you don't really want to hear. I've seen this done before, he said, the doc said to me. Good and Tony, Chin, Tony Chin looked at me as though he was ready to chin him, literally. And I went, right. He said, right. He said, um, he said, Tony, he said, we need to find something heavy. And I said, <laughs> he was like, what do you mean? He said, well, I need to start, find something heavy because I'm going to put this, wh- whatever it is that's heavy, I'm going to put it in Mark's arm and we're going to swing his arm backwards and forwards. And he said, and, and sometimes your shoulder just clicks back into position. I'm like, yeah, right. And I'm in agony. I really am in agony. And you know, the only thing he could find that, that, that he thought was heavy was like, a carton of milk because they didn't have bottles on, on the continent on Europe. You said cartons, didn't you? So I'm swinging this carton of milk and I'm just, you, and you couldn't make it up. And then after that, I said, Doc, this is FFF, useless, absolutely useless. He said, Yeah, it's not working. We'll have to go to hospital. Okay. So out I get, kit on, everything, walk out the building, and uh, the ambulance was there. Obviously, there was ambulances, you can imagine, for everybody. And it, but it was a, it was a, like a long wheelbase ambulance. Right. And basically, the, uh, the guy said to me, oh, he said, I'd, I'd like you to get, he said, we've got a stretcher here. And he said, and uh, it goes in into the back of the ambulance. He said, it's, it's, uh, it's like electric. It's, it's mechanical. And he said, and just lie down on it. I said, I'm all right. I can sit on the seat. He said, no, 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 no. He said, uh, you'll, you'll see when we get to the hospital. Why? So I'm lying down. It's like just like an estate wagon kind of thing. So, but I'm but I'm, I'm completely laid down, and I'm on this thing. We drive to the hospital, and this this car, want to a better description, drives up. To, it was what I would describe like a loading bay that you'd see at like a, a massive Tesco's warehouse, 
and, and, and literally, when, as soon as we drove up, he reversed up this guy, opened the boot, and as he opened the boot, I slid on like a conveyor belt that came out from straight from the surgery, from the operating room, straight onto the operating table. And the specialist oh said to me, he said, right, we know everything about you. He said, uh, we, we've been informed. We know you did it a few weeks ago. We know you're going to have the operation. It, the operation is called Putty Platt. We know you're going to have the operation. He said, um, I'm going to knock you out. He said, um, and, you know, I'll put your shoulder back and, you know, what will be will be. So fine. So still all my kit on, my boots, the lot. Uh, anyway, so eventually I wake up. And this, I'll never forget this. This is one of the things that's going to probably flash by in my mind the day I die. And as I woke up in this room, I counted all the beds in this ward, all empty apart from me. There was 24, including mine. And there was the soldier at the bottom of my bed with the biggest machine gun you've ever seen. And his English wasn't very good, and I didn't speak any Flemish. And he, he sort of looked at me, saw the fear in my eyes and just put his hand out as though to say, right, hold on a minute. Anyway, got the nurse to come in and, you know, she said, do you know where you are? Can you remember? And all that kind of stuff. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the morning, um, I was basically, we, we got out the lift by, well, we got out the, the building by one of, one of the service lifts and the, Roy Evans came with my missus at the time in the morning. Roy Evans came and all he bought was in a tracksuit. And I said, the club tracksuit. Oh my God. So I went, of all the things, he said, well, we couldn't find anything else. He said, we don't know where your clothes have gone from the, from the dressing rooms. We couldn't find anything else. He said, but we'll, we'll reverse them so no one will notice. I mean, it, I mean, obviously it's extremely sad and it, and, um, um, but you laugh, don't you, and all that kind of stuff. But it, oh, it, it was, it, it was, it was absolutely horrendous Absolutely. and you yes yeah she's sneaking it i mean oh my god Mark, that must have been so traumatic like yeah on so many yeah. levels like you say the only way you can deal with things like that is to you know when, when absurdity happens is to cackle at it in the in the, in the yeah. moment well the other you know the other thing is as as, as a doc had said to me in, in the, uh, i saw the specialist before he went and he said look he said you i'll actually do your operation for you if you want to stay and I said, no, I'm, you know, it's arranged for me to, to, to be done as soon as I get back to, to England. And he said, you, you, you do realize that, you know, the, the, the dead and the dying are in the, in the hotel. Well, you can imagine how, how I felt about that. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. That's really kind of cheered me up and stuff. But, um, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you've got time, but I, I did a documentary a few years ago. Some, some company made a documentary. Me and Brucey spoke on it about high school. None of the other lads would do it. And they, they told me an unbelievable story about, um, uh, a family, there was like a dad, uncle, and uh, the son. I think there was four of them all together. They drove from um, Turin, white van, uh, drove all the way across the border, etc., etc., and parked like a mile away from the ground, and they parked outside this house, and apparently this lady came out and looked at them, and they sort of said to her, look, you know, we're going to the football, Juventus fans, you know, can we park the van here? She went, yeah, absolutely, don't worry, I'll look after it, you know, you'll be, you'll be absolutely fine. Anyway, so, so all that, anyway, as, as it happened, he said, um, one of the four was killed. So he was obviously in the make, in the, in the marquee, the makeshift, makeshift morgue. And they, the, you know, the three of them like didn't know what to do. So they went and spoke to the police and the police said, um, he said, you know, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for such and such a thing. And he said, oh, such and such a body. He said, well, one of you can go in. Only, only one of you can go in and identify the body. So, all the time this was happening, this lad who died, his mum in Turin, they did it the whole document. She knew. She she went to church. 
she just knew that her son had died. She hadn't been told. She just knew one of those strange things, and she went into church, and she was praying and all that kind of stuff. It's really spooky, this story. And so, right, so, so they go and identify the body, and then the policeman just said, look, you know, the best thing I can say to you is you probably need to go home because, obviously, you know, you can't kind of stay here and the body will be taken away and we don't know what's going to happen, blah, 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 blah. The three of them walk back to the van. Guess what? what? No keys. They were in the kid who died in his pocket. They had to go back and one of them had to go back in the morgue and get the car keys out of his pocket. Oh, man. Oh, man. People in it. Yeah, the tr- the tragedy of that was just so horrible. Amazing, amazing. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, for you guys, you know, obviously it's it's incredibly um, difficult to cope with as a group, and there's a massive change at the club when Kenny takes over. And again, like I, I've spoken to um, to the other guys about at length about the eighty five eighty six campaign mm-hmm. where Kenny is player manager, and it's a, it's a double yeah. win. His name was Golden Balls. You know what? I read you quoting him uh, as Golden Balls before, and I thought, "Hang on, this is pre Beckham," and you guys were calling Kenny Golden Balls at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really. And what was the what 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 was the, the if you don't mind spelling it out? What was the idea behind that particular? Well, he just you know every, everything he touched was was you know we said I was born with Golden Balls, so that's <laughs> you know that's what he was known as. Everyone else knew he was kind of King Kenny. All the punters knew he was King Kenny. We just called him Golden Balls. Oh, that is magic. I really don't think enough other people know that. I mean, okay, so so in Golden Balls' first campaign, I mean, it's absurdly successful. You have another league title. You play uh, a lot of games again and, and and lift an FA Cup as well. It's it's a double when the double wasn't often uh, done. And again, I'm going charging through this, Mark, but I want to get through a few things before we finish. And, you know, 86, 87 is another one of those nerdy seasons. But then we come to a point where you're only 30 years of age, 29, 30 years of age. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's uh, the campaign 87, 88, which people will remember for being that uh, a new team which emerged, which, of course, yeah. you would have featured very, very and fitted in so well into every time I look at that team, I think, oh, God, that should be, there should be a, a, a Lawrence and presence in it. But, it, it's 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 uh it's it's basically the the season in which um they go on to do whatever they do, but you're 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 struck badly by injury, which effectively yeah. maybe puts an end to your top flight career. Yeah, no, it did, no, it did. I mean, um, <laughs> I remember uh, it was a game against Wimbledon, and they it was like Fashionew and Cork up front and everything, and they were like they were brutal, and we played with three centre backs, me, Al, and Gary Gillespie. Unfortunately, Kenny said to me, Laurel, you can play free. So I didn't have to pick one of those two up. Well, what a result that was. And they got a corner, Anfield Road end, sort of got headed out. And I ran out with the ball and I was running. And we were attacking him like counter-attack. And, you know, I, I was quite quick, as, as people knew. And fashion, I just remember fashion you chasing me. And the next thing is I kind of tripped over as though someone had just flicked me. And George Courtney was the referee, and I turned around to George Courtney, and I've gone, effing, what a foul, look, dirty, such and such. What he went, Mark, nobody near you. And I went, what are you on about? He said, nobody was within 15 yards of you. And, I, and I, I ripped my Achilles. I was operated on that night. And I remember, I remember about three or four days later, so I'm there in my bed and stuff, and uh, this, one of the male nurses was never told, and he was like, great fun, and he came. Came and he said, How are you? I'm all right. And he just went to me, he went, No one ever recovers from Achilles tendon, you'll never play again. And I went, Yeah, go on, do one and stuff. But it, do you know what? After a while, I realized I wasn't going to play again. I had such a poor blood supply 
as well, which, 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 which was the real problem. I remember Jack coming to see me play when I sort of made me come back in the A-team. Jack came, uh, Jack Cholton, came to watch and everything. And he said, oh, you look all right. And I thought, I, I didn't say anything. I just knew I wasn't right. But obviously it was the A-team. It's quite easy and stuff like that, you know. Um, and I got back in the team. But I was doing this ridiculous thing where, especially when we played away from home, Traveling from the hotel to the ground, I take me right shoe and sock off and I put my leg up above my heart. So it basically pumped all the rubbish that was in my Achilles all away so I could play. And I mean, it's ridiculous. It really wasn't. Right. It was, it, and even now it's so swollen, you know, at the end of the day, and it's just one of those things. But, uh, but, but Mark, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing. And I have actually personal experience in this because it's the same thing. That, that anecdote you talked, you talked of there where, you assumed someone had kicked you. That exact thing happened to me. It was a total mm-hmm. rupture, and I felt a bang on it. In fact, people heard it. And yeah. I know, I know something very similar happened to John Barnes as well. And I saw yeah. Barnes on a documentary, and he he actually just he turns around, and he says, eh, "Have a look at this," and he just shows the back of his two calves and they're completely different and again i can relate to this i've got one ridiculously large calf and one sort of one that had to develop after whatever it was 12 14 weeks in a in a plaster and yeah, um, yeah. as you say you're never really going to be the same again but it is quite dramatic there was i, I you were quoted as saying that you tried to play but you just felt like an imposter in your own body basically yeah, i was playing on one leg and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember we played we played Arsenal, Arsenal at home. We had a guy called Martin Hayes played on the left wing. I was playing right back. God knows why someone must have been injured or something. And um, and he was quick, but I was quicker. Okay, but that day he knocked the ball past me, and I'm not being funny. Within ten yards, he was like five yards in front of me, and the bench kind of looking, going, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And I was the other side of the pitch. Uh, at Anfield, and I'm just saying, I, I put my hands up as I say, oh, I don't know. Anyway, as luck would have it, the ball, ball went out, goal kick, the ball came to me, and it just bounced in front of me, and I just volleyed it into the stand, and all of Anfield just went quiet. It's like, what's he done that for? And I just signals, I'm, I'm off, I'm out, and that I was done, I was, I was finished. And but I, I'd known, for, I'd known for a while, and it wasn't. You know, and then of course everyone says, "Oh, it's really sad and all that." And I just said, "You know what, guys? I'd, I'd seriously known for a while." And they, they took me to um, a place in Shropshire. I went to see. There was me, Jim Begden, actually, and uh, Kevin McDonald. They, those two had had really bad broken legs. You remember, Jim got his against uh, Everton, and I think Kevin got his at uh, Southampton. And they were kind of recuperating and stuff. And I, we went in to see this guy one by one. I was first in, and the guy said to me, "Right," he said, "I've got your, uh, I've got all your medical information and stuff like this." And he said, "I'm you're here for two days." He said, "I'm going to do a series of tests on your good Achilles and a series of tests on your poor Achilles." And he said, "And I'll," he said, "and I'll speak to you tomorrow." And he said, um, "Where are you from?" I said, "From Preston." He went, "All right." He said, "So I can tell the truth." And I went, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "Rather you tell the truth." Anyway, after all a series of all these kind of exercises and stuff went into see him on the friday afternoon and he just went first words he said are you insured and i went oh no. wow yeah 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 talk about breaking it softly i said, said you know and i said no but they said oh i said actually hold on a minute i am insured i was the first person at liverpool ever to have insurance and i, I, I just they asked me in for a new contract one particular year and i just suddenly thought what happens if i um get a really bad injury anyway so i was the first and the first person ever to, to, to ask for it. But this, when the guy asked me, I just said no, because I completely forgot. But then I said, no, I am insured. And he went, right. He said, look, he said, you could possibly play at another level. 
as in lower. He said, you know, because I know you are and all that kind of stuff. He said, but you won't, you won't have the same pace. So, you know, it's all a little bit. He was big into football. He said, all a little bit different. He said, the only problem is you won't, you won't get insured wherever you go. And he said, there is also a likelihood that, he said, as you will now know, don't you, when you injure something on one side of the leg, something on the other side of your body goes. And he said, that would be my great worry that you'd rupture the other one. So yeah. I, was, I was done then. I knew, I knew exactly I was gone. And you know the 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 parting of the ways with Liverpool, and these days, you know, uh, players' rights are quite the thing, and everybody's, as you say, insured to the guilds, clubs, and players, and everyone's really well paid, and all the rest of it. But I know an awful lot of high-profile players like yourself, and people I've actually spoken to in the past have been lucky to speak to a lot of Liverpool uh, ex-Liverpool players and ex ex-professional footballers, and an awful lot of them end up in these sort of harrowing scenarios where. Ah, uh, you know, the club just basically goes very cold and starts getting very tight about money. At least, did the uh, parting of the ways with Liverpool go okay, or was that a, an awkward one? Well, no, it did. It, it was it was absolutely fine because everything was kind of in black and white. You know, they, they, they promised me a testimonial, and I never took it. Um, I just I basically I, it wouldn't have been for another two or three years, and I just thought I ain't coming back in here in two or three years for a testimonial. It would feel like I was begging a little bit. So and. Basically, I announced I was finishing on the Thursday, and on the Friday, I was managers of Oxford United, who were in the same league as Liverpool. Yeah. Um, working yeah. For Maxwell. So, yeah. but the only pro- I got in trouble with the Irish press. They gave me a bit of stick from because they said to me, "You could have told us," because I just announced it the next day, and I went, "Hey, I couldn't tell you because the club didn't know until the, until the Thursday morning when I went in to see Kenny and said, "I'm done." Kenny, I am, I'm finished. I've, that's it. I'm, I'm, he said, oh, no, I've been to Harley Street. I've been everywhere. And I said to him, no. He said, I said, you know, sometimes you just know. And I said, honestly, I said, I, I'm finished. I can't play and stuff like that. So it kind of came out that day. And they were sort of saying to me, all the Irish boys were saying, they gave me a bit of stick and say, well, you know, the, the very least you do, you could have told us and all that kind of stuff. And I just said to him, look, I said, I didn't tell the club till this morning. So, you know, what did you want me to do? But hey, ho isn't that tremendous being guilted by people when you're staring down the barrel of your career being over that's incredible how are you, wow how are you feeling today yeah how are you feeling today that's remarkable obviously you 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 mentioned that you you go and work um with uh, a certain uh, media mogul and robert maxwell and you're manager of oxford united and i know you do you do another spell of management as well and i think you did a few stints like with, with tampa bay and uh, a couple of games with barnet and stuff like that but basically it's the next massive stage of of your career and i want to finish with this is is your is your punditry days and it would be kind of daft not to mention it because you're such a a, a a a figure that's known to so many people such a well-known man uh, in in the punditry game i mean there, there is a perception of your mark that you know uh, in your in in the way that that when when in your co-commentary on matches and stuff that you're quite difficult to impress and you've got this kind of you've got this like I know from talking to you this evening that you know uh, there there's that enthusiasm for football there but you always have this sort of uh, 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 sort of appearances if you like I say you're quite non-plus by an awful lot of the stuff that happens yeah. and I I would think that would be the reaction that I would have if I'd seen what you'd seen and 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 had the career that you've that you've had is it st- still something that enthuses you though to to speak about the games on a regular basis? Yeah. Love it, I, I I absolutely love it. And you know I'm 60 now, and they say you know when are you going to retire and stuff like that. I said I'm just going to keep working, a because you know um, I think it once once you stop your brain working, I think good night. Um, 
uh, I, I think we've seen from 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 many 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 different people, especially just 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 keep. I love the, I love the games. I just I mean you know I was at where was I this weekend? I was uh, last weekend. I was Newcastle Bournemouth on Saturday, Man City Arsenal on Sunday. So I, I just I just really really enjoy it. The the only problem for me is my lad plays bloody rugby union would you believe he's not he's not into football he likes football but he's just not good enough but he, he plays rugby union plays in the flaming scrum and i'm thinking of all the things i was and what's what's he doing now but do you know what I, I really really like going to watch him as well i think i think it's great i think it's a great great kind of sport and stuff but when you're there as a as a as a, as a, a parent and you watch them thunder into each other, you think, oh, my God. But then, of course, you know, I probably had loads of people doing the same thing for me. So, um, yeah, no, I, I love, I just, I love, I love watching. I just, I go to Preston every single time. I even go and watch the youth team play. It's just one of those things. Your team's your team, isn't it? Your team's your team. I, I, like you've had, you've you've had such a such an impressive career in, in the in the in the media game since you started. I mean, involved with an awful lot of people. I'm wondering who really has impressed you in terms of the media professionals. You spent uh, a bit of time working with Des Line, and it always seemed incredibly smooth to me. He was, he was. Now Des 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 was absolutely fantastic. He just he just always had that glint in his eye as well, didn't he, Des? That was and yeah. he was like full of fun. He was a great tourist. I remember he, he when I was at Brighton when I first met him. He wrote for a topic. Remember Topical Times football book? Of course they do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And he came down to do this article. And when we were at Brighton, we didn't really have a, a training ground. We used to sometimes train at the dog track in on the pitch in the middle, and, and uh, it was like by the squash club. And he says, "I'm meeting the squash club at one o'clock." Okay. So I met in the squash club at one, and at half eleven that night in a, in some pub. In Peace Haven, we parted. We were absolutely, the two of us were soaked. We'd had a long, long day. We got the, st- he said, let's get the stuff out of the way and let's have a drink. But Des, what, what, what a top, top bloke, but what a, what a top tourist. I don't, I don't think he's particularly well at the moment either as well. So I think he's, I may be wrong here, but I think he's well, a bit like my mother getting very, very forgetful, shall we say. Right, right. I, I, you know, again, it's it's something that's um, a trait of your punditry is the fact that you speak your mind. You're very, very direct about things. And I know actually very recently, I think you got a bit of flack off Liverpool fans who can be very sensitive a lot about uh, your your opinions on on on, uh, on Phil Coutinho and how probably the club should have sold him during the summer yeah. because actually it made sense. And I found myself actually, to be honest with you, as as a guy who works in Liverpool media, I was nodding my head in agreement with you because your logic was quite unassailable. It was like basically if you're being offered that money for a player he, he he could be crocked in a month you know and i i get that i mean have has there ever, ever been any moments in your career where you've yeah i mean again i think was there was there an incident with liverpool fans as well where they might take an exception to to to, to some uh some interaction with the sun does that sound familiar to you flipping sun that bloody you know dan walker who presents football focus sure yeah he dropped me in it that day that was at watford right. and we were doing we were doing it live at Watford and it was like two minutes to one, so we're off air in two minutes and it was the last item and we were gonna just stand by stand by the dugout and talk whatever and it just started to really rain. So she said, No, we'll do it in the dugout, do it in the dugout and just you know, you've got an earpiece in and everything and, and the editor's saying, Oh Laura, he said uh, and, and Danny said, Just just hold that hold that paper up there and it was something about Jose, wasn't it? And I I never even looked at the paper. Trevor and of course I held the paper up and of course I'm now holding it up and I'm looking at it and thinking oh my god it's the sun yeah and of course yeah. straight away we came off and I said to Dan 
you've just hung, drawn and quartered me. And he, what are you on about? I said, it's the sun. He went, oh, he doesn't swear, Dan. He doesn't swear at all. He went, oh. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I will go on Twitter. And he said, I will tell them that it's my fault because that it is. But, it, you know, obviously I got I got absolutely dogs abuse. But it was just one of those stupid moments. But I got loads of calls from different people as well who said we've been in this we've just we've done the same thing purely by mistake but well of, of course and that's that's it's so possible that that can happen but <laughs> I, I do th- I, I you know like i say I, I think an awful lot of people appreciate mark that that there is always this layer of honesty to what you talk about and and and, and the way that you put across your opinions it's it's sort of it does sort of uh, gleam from your from your commentary and always has and i i, I think i think if you deal honestly, honestly with people they know that you know and and, and it's only people who, who want to, to to crib that do crib. Yeah, I, d- I don't have any problem because everyone's everyone's got um, you know a, an impression or, or you know an opinion. Sorry, an, an opinion of absolutely everything, which is absolutely n- no trouble at all to me, especially now with Twitter when you get all the idiots on it and, and stuff like that. Do you know? The, do you know the worst thing that I have? What's is, that? Is predicting the Premier League results. Oh God! I'd imagine that's a nightmare, Mark. Nightmare. I go to a game, and there's always one idiot, and it's always a bloke, and it's always it looks like he's between thirty-five and forty, and obviously lives in the back bedroom at home with his mum and dad. <laughs> and he said to me, he went, "Oh, your bloody predictions and all that." And on a good day, I just laugh, right? Yeah. yeah. And on a bad day, I, and I look at him and I say, "Mate, what's your name?" And he goes, oh, "My name's Ashley." I said, "Ashley." I said, you know, and it could be any ground in the country. It could be Aston Villa or wherever. And I say, right. He said, I said, what do you think of the weather today? He said, oh, it's not very nice. It's no, it's cold as well, isn't it? He said, yeah. And I said, do you think if I could predict results in the football every single week, I would be stood here at Aston Villa in the freezing cold talking to you? He said, what yeah. do you mean? I said, well, I'd be on the bloody yacht, wouldn't I, in the Bahamas? Because if I really knew the results, I'd only have to do it one week and I'd be worth millions. And unfortunately, they don't get it, do they? But it's 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 a nightmare. Honestly, it really seriously is. And and I'm not being funny. I mean, the BBC didn't help the other year where they just they said uh, right at the start of the season, the day before I started doing them again, and they said oh they said they love this and it's growing, and it's growing, and we love it. And it's all fantastic. And he said oh and by the way we're changing the points. I went what? He said oh we're changing the points. I went right. And we start tomorrow. And they went yeah. And I went well that's really nice of you know, to give me the old all the people love it and that, but you don't sort of have any dialogue with me saying oh I think we're going to change the points. What do you think? And then the best one again was the start of this year. They said, "Oh, we've decided to put you in the predictor league." And I went, "Okay, any chance you could have phoned me up and said, you know, we're thinking of putting you in the predictor league?" They said, "You know what they said to me? How oh, we knew you wasn't mind." <laughs> <laughs> really, right? Thank you very much. Well, I see you get for being an amenable chap, Mark. That's uh, clearly what you get for being an amenable <laughs> chap. My God, I, I think. But uh, one before I let you go, are you mm. going to do any more uh, commentary on on Pro Evo? Because that's my favourite football game, unlike most people. No, no, I just, I don't. I've never had an agent, and I just, I did a run of like three or four or five years. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I had them all. It was, it was with, it was with um, the Japanese, and it, it was, it was. It's like five days, eight hours a day. You just read these lines all the time. It's like unbelievably boring, mundane. It's absolutely horrible. And you just think, think of the money, think of the money, think of the money. Yeah. And stuff like that. You know, in the end, your voice is just like a waste of time. But the last year, 
then last year, and it's always uh, recorded in Soho, it was when I did it, and, I, and I, t- I remember, I turned up the first thing on the Monday morning, Soho, so I'm there till Friday, and the Japanese are in there, and, I, and I've gone, where's the scripts? And the scripts were like old telephone books, and they'd be, they'd be the size of two telephone books, and uh, and they just talked through me through the, uh, the through the, they were in the next door, obviously, where they were sorting the sound off, and they said, oh, we, what we're going to do is, we're going to give you the scenario, and we want you to make your own words up, Oh, went, my God. What? He said, bear in mind, this takes five days. I went, you are doing what? And he said, what would you? And I went, um, and I just knew then. I went, nah, that's, that's the end. I did it, but I said, no, I'm not, no chance. See you later. <laughs> yeah, that's quite enough. I think that's as good a spot as any to let Mark get back to not being badgered by an Irishman coming through his computer at him. This has been an absolute treat for us here at AI Pro, Mark. And I, I personally want to thank you for being so open and insightful in this interview. It means a lot to our subscribers to get to hear these stories from genuine legends like yourself, men who've walked the walk, and the fact that you continue to do it in a related field in the, in the punditry game just adds a lot to this one for me, I think, for everybody else. So thank you so much for taking the time talking what, to me what, tonight. What you don't know, Trevor, is that halfway through it, my son tiptoed in and listened for about a minute, and you know when he just gives you the eyes as though to say, not this same load of old crap again. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose he's probably heard one or two of them before. Slightly. Well, thank you so much, Mark. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you, lovely subscriber. On AI Pro, international break doesn't mean that we take a breather. Instead, we keep bringing you delights like the last two hours in the company of Mr. Lawrenson. That's because we appreciate your support immensely. We think you're bloody marvellous. So channel your inner hippie and send positive vibes the way of our travelling red men in the hope of preventing them from getting broken. You heard, Mark. There's hope. So be nice to each other and stay safe out there. Sports Social Podcast Network.